and thank you guys. Well, we're continuing in our series today on Vision 2020, and so the last four weeks we've been talking about some of the distinctives of our church, we've been talking about the distinctives of the heritage of this church, some of the foundational uh, values and some of the foundational views that began the Christian church and the restoration movement. And so today I want to begin kind of to pivot to begin thinking about the future, to begin thinking about who we are um, and what God is calling us uniquely to do. We have a mission statement, and I believe it's in the middle part of your bulletin. It says, uh, maturing the believer and winning the lost, or maturing the believer to win the lost. And so I want to tackle the first piece of that statement today, maturing the believer. Our text comes from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, and then we'll also be reading chapter 5, verses 22, 23, and 24. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, and then skipping over to chapter 5. Here we go. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You may be seated. So what I want to do is to revisit a sermon that I have preached here before. Maybe every three or four years we'll, we'll bring this back up because it targets, it focuses on this idea of what our church is all about. And so we're going to be speaking about what Christian maturity is. It's both a process and it is a destination. At some point in your Christian walk, you will become Mature, thank you. Somebody was listening this morning. Um, yeah, so you become mature, but there's a process in getting there. And so what we'll see this morning are both of those things. We'll see the process unfold in the life of the Apostle Paul, and then we'll see him come to a point where he says, look, this is where, this is where it's at. This is when you have arrived there. This is when you have become mature. So let's start um, back at the beginning of Paul's letter um, to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, we'll begin working our way toward those verses that we just read. So Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle. Now that title, an apostle, um, was specifically reserved in the first century for somebody who had met two criteria. One, they had seen the resurrected Christ. That is that they had seen Jesus after he had been resurrected from the dead, visually seen him, seen him in his physical body. And then the second criteria for that was that they had been called by the living Christ personally, in person, to become one of his ministers and to become one of his, um, his followers. And so the Apostle Paul meets both of those um, criteria. Where was the, when did the Apostle Paul, if you can think about your, your, your Bible school lessons, when did the Apostle Paul meet the risen Christ? On the road to Damascus, that's right. There's this blinding light from heaven. We'll see this here just a little bit later in his story. But there's a blinding light from heaven. Paul has this conversion experience, and he says uh, he sees this blinding light. And so he has this encounter with the risen Christ. And in that moment, both he experiences justification, he experiences salvation, but he also experienced the calling to ministry that he had. So you're carrying, keep him going here. So it says, Paul, an apostle, uh, sent not from men nor by man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father. So there's a little bit of an issue going on here for Paul for him to start out his letter 
by, not, by identifying some of his credentials. One of his credentials is that I'm distinct among persons. That is, I'm an apostle. I'm somebody who carries this title of having seen the resurrected Jesus, but also somebody who was called by him. So I'm letting you know right out of the gate that that's who I am, that I carry that title of an apostle. It's, it's unique amongst people. Um, but also, I've not been sent by man. I'm not on some sort of human agenda. They didn't have some sort of an election at the church and voted me into this role. He says, I was called specifically by Jesus Christ. God the Father pulled me out and said, I want for you to accomplish this task for me. So Paul, right out of the gate, we realize if we're reading behind the words here that Paul has a credibility issue. What's happened is the people that he's writing to, the Christians in the Galatia, the church that he had founded himself, some people have come in behind Paul after he had left, and they had, they had basically tarnished Paul's reputation. They had said all these things about Paul that weren't true. They had said that Paul was just, uh, he was just some, some sort of evangelist that was out there trying to line his own pockets, trying to have some posh house, pay for some, uh, some you know, retirement community that he wanted to be a part of or something like that. And so Paul's like, hey, look, I want to reestablish my credibility. I want to close that credibility gap that I have with you by reminding you of who I am. I'm Paul the Apostle, right? That's a unique title. I'm a guy who was sent not from men, but I was somebody who was sent by Jesus Christ himself to, uh, to engage in this ministry that I'm a part of, okay? So we realize here that Paul's got a credibility gap here right out of the gate, right? Y'all with me? Okay, all right, let's skip forward to verse 6. He says, I'm astonished. Harsh word. Imagine if you said that to one of your children, right? I'm astonished. They expect whatever's coming next is not going to be something good, right? It's, um, not, I'm astonished that you got 100 on your chemistry test. no. But something bad's coming here. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So think about this for a second. If you're in the local church and you just received this letter from Paul, and right in the opening lines of the letter, Paul says to you, I'm astonished that you have deserted the gospel, that you have left behind all of this stuff that I've taught you. I mean, that's just a punch in the face, right? Coming from the guy that had helped plant this church and started this church. And so Paul's telling them, hey, look, y'all have gotten off track right here at the beginning of the letter. Usually Paul starts out his letters with grace and peace to you and love and the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever I think about you, I've got joy in my heart and I'm so filled with, with love for you. But not here. Paul starts out his letter saying, I'm astonished. I can't believe what I'm hearing. I can't believe the report that I've gotten. And again, the report is that they've turned to a different gospel. Not even on track with Christianity anymore. Keep on going, verse 7, it says, Not that there was another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So again, he's referring to these people that have come in behind him, these people that have, um, have subverted the teaching that Paul had shared with these people in Galatia. He's referring to these people who are false teachers, and he's having to say, hey, look, we got a credibility issue here. I have a credibility issue here with you. I'm trying to close that gap, and I'm also trying to let you know that the people who were there that were sharing stuff that was different than what I had taught you, that these are not folks that y'all need to be listening to. Look at verse 10. He continues, For am I now seeking the approval of men? Does this sound like a guy who's trying to win over your good graces, right? Um, I'm not up here complimenting you. I'm not up here telling you what a great job you're doing. In fact, I'm pointing out things that you're doing wrong. Um, am I trying to win your approval here? Does it look like I'm on some sort of a human agenda? Does it look like I'm just trying to line my pocket? He says, or am I trying to win the approval of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Think about this. The Apostle Paul has been flogged, he's been beaten, he's been stoned almost to death, he's been uh, uh, shipwrecked, uh, he's been thrown in prison, and so he's thinking to himself, look, if I, if I was in this for my own self-elevation, if I was in this to line my own pockets, why would I be doing this? Look at the result of what I've been doing, right? 
I've experienced horrible suffering. And yet, I continue. And so that should be evidence to you that I'm not in this for my own gain. Again, closing the credibility gap. So what the Apostle Paul decides to do when we get to verse 13, we're going to see this here in just a second, is to share his own personal autobiography. In other words, he's going to share his testimony. He's going to tell them the story of his journey toward Christ, right? And his journey with Christ. And, uh, and so I've got a slide here for you, and it shows Paul's spiritual autobiography. You can see at the front end, the end of it. Um, so he's born, right? Born into the world. And then the BA is where he's born again. And then he's going to die at the end of his life. And so what we're going to do over the course of the next verses here is we're going to journey with Paul along this continuum, along his life, his journey before he's a Christian, his journey after he becomes a Christian, or when he becomes, and then after, okay? So that's what he's going to do with us here. Again, the, the Galatians have heard this story before, right? This is not news to them. Um, Paul has told them this story, so he's just going to hit some of the highlights. So let's take a look at verse 13, Paul's spiritual autobiography. He says, For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God and violently tried to destroy it. Again, they've heard about this. They know these stories. They know about how Paul was this violent, ill-tempered man who used to go around trying to kill all the Christians. He'd go around trying to separate husbands and wives and throw the husbands in jail and create widows and create orphans um, out, of their, out of their family. Um, Paul was just a ruthless guy. And, and, and Paul, not only that, Paul was r- remarkably talented. Right? He goes on to say, um, he says, verse 14, for I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of the Jews my own age, um, among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So Paul's reminding them the story that they already know about how when Paul was a young Jew, that he was all for it, that he was 100% dedicated to it, that he was the first guy up in the morning with his light on. He was the last guy in bed at night with his light going out, constantly reading, constantly studying, constantly looking for and trying to understand the scriptures. In fact, Paul was one of the students of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the most prominent rabbis of Paul's day of the first century. And for for Paul to be able to get to sit at the feet of Gamaliel as his rabbi, as the guy that was going to teach him, would be kind of like somebody going to Harvard or somebody going to Yale or somebody going to MIT or somebody going to the University of Georgia. And so the apostle Paul is this, is, is, everybody realizes that Paul is super sharp. Paul is a, he, he is going someplace in life, right? And they see great promise in the Apostle Paul, or well, back when he was Saul, amongst the Jewish people. Um, so he says, uh, he says to them, you've heard about all that, y'all know all about that. Verse 15, he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who had called me by his grace was pleased, verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Now, when was the Lord Jesus revealed to the Apostle Paul? Y'all said it just a little bit ago on the road to Damascus. That's right. So I got a map for you here, and it shows Jerusalem. You can see Jerusalem. It's west of the northern tip of the Dead Sea. And then if you look up above the Sea of Galilee, you can pick out on the map um, Damascus, the city of Damascus. And so there's a road that led from Jerusalem up to Damascus. And so Paul's on this road. He's on the road to Damascus, right? And so he's on his way up there because he had pretty much taken care of the most of the Christians in Jerusalem. So he wants, and so a lot of them had fled up north to the northern part of Israel, to the northern territory of Judea. And so they had gone up there to this outpost city of Damascus to try and escape all the persecution that people were experiencing in Jerusalem. So that Paul, then Saul, was, you know, he didn't want to let anybody live that was a Christian. And so he wants to go up there to Damascus. And so on his way to go persecute more Christians, on his way to go rub out this little Christianity movement that's going on, 
the Apostle Paul has this blinding light from heaven. He says, who are you, Lord? He recognizes that this is God. And so the voice responds back, I'm the one whom you are persecuting. Now think about this for just a moment. Paul had been a devout Jew as they come, right? He was super zealous for the law. He talks about that here. Um, he says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, hey, look, I was, I was a Jew amongst Jew. I was zealous for the laws from the tribe of Benjamin. I was all the different, I had all the pedigree that you needed in order to be a great Jew. And so Paul um, realizes in that moment that he has been playing for the wrong team. He realizes in that moment that all this time, even though he was an Atlanta Braves fan his whole life, that he is now wearing a Mets jersey. I mean, how can you do that when you've grown up in Atlanta, right? And so that's what, he, that's what he realizes in this one moment, that he thought he had been playing for the God of the universe, and yet he, had been, he realized in this moment that he'd actually been playing on the opposing team when he sees that blinding light from heaven. So Paul then goes on from that blinding light experience up to the city of Damascus, a changed man now, realizing that he's really messed up. And he goes to the house, uh, the house on Straight Street that we read about in the book of Acts. And he goes to the upper room of that house and he locks himself in. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. Three days go by. He won't take any food. He won't take any water. People are knocking on the door. Paul, what's going on? Paul, we haven't heard from you. Paul, you need to come out. Paul, we know you hadn't had any water. We know you haven't had any food. Paul, can we do something to help you out? Remember, he's blinded at this point. And so Paul's just, he refuses to talk to anybody, and he's doing what you and I would do in a situation like that when he realizes that he really had messed up. He's on his knees, he's talking with God, and he's telling God, God, I know that I have made a complete and total mess of my life. But from this moment forward, I'll give you the rest of my days if you'll use me. And so the Lord Jesus, in all of his mercy, comes and sends Ananias to the house and so he knocks on the door, Paul comes down, Ananias prays over him, the scale fall from Paul's eyes, and he goes out into the desert. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 17, he says, So after this blinding light experience, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia. Now, I don't know if we can bring our map back up or not, but if you look out east of Damascus, what's out there? Thank you, desert. That's right. There's nothing out there. He went out into the deserts of Arabia. This is a place where you'd go to die. This is in the Hebrew Yeshimon. Am I right in saying that? Never mind. Well, we'll talk about that afterwards. He'll catch me after. We've got our Hebrew expert here. Um, so he goes out into the desert. It's a wilderness. It's a place that you go to die. I mean, these are desert sands where you don't go out there to live, where you don't go out there to survive. But Paul goes out there to survive. And so what's Paul doing? He's connecting all the dots between this Jesus that he'd been, or between all this Old Testament that he'd been reading about all these years, right, and, and learning about all these years, He's connecting the dots between that information and this person who had died on a cross and resurrected. And he's thinking to himself, hmm, Jesus died on the same spot where David had buried Goliath's head, fulfilling the scriptures that say, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, you will crush his, or you'll strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And he remembers that Jesus had died on Passover week, which is the same time that all those lambs had been crucified, or all those lambs had been, had been killed at the temple. And so at the same moment that the lambs were being killed in the temple, the Lord Jesus' life was given up. And so he recognizes that this Jesus was actually born to be our Passover lamb. And he sees through the scriptures that Jesus fulfills scripture after scripture after scripture in the Old Testament. He's connecting the dots out there in the desert. And then he says, verse, go back to verse 17, he says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were to be apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia, out into the, the desert, and then I later returned 
to Damascus. So Paul just has a little mini retreat there, right? He goes and spends time with the Lord. The Lord heals him. He reminds the Lord of all the terrible things that he's done, of all the husbands and wives that he's separated, of the people of Stephen that he stood there and had stoned to death. And he's reminded of how he had played hard for the opposing team. And the Lord Jesus just reminds him that he's forgiven, that his sins are washed away, that his past is behind him and his future is clear. And so he comes back to Damascus and he stays there, he says, in Damascus. Look at verse 18. He says, then after three years. So he'd been in Damascus for three years. He says, after three years, verse 18, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him for 15 days. So, I mean, back in those days, you didn't just like show up for a couple of hours, jump in your car and drive back out of town. Uh, it was a little bit of a journey to get there. So he stayed, he says, for 15 days, just a short little while about how long you would have stayed if you were coming to town to visit some folks. And he says he met with Cephas, who is Peter, so in, in, the, in the ESV version. Um, he says he went to Jerusalem this time to visit with um, Peter. And so apparently in Paul's credibility issue, one of the things that these people have come in and have told the Galatian Christians, that, uh, that the Apostle Paul has been, um, that he's been, he's been trying to make good with all the, all the, all the Christian leaders, right? That he's been trying to uh, uh, connect with uh, Peter, the head of the church, and he's been trying to make buddies with James, he's been trying to make buddies with John, and he's trying to get in and wiggle his way into some sort of a position of authority, some, be seen as somebody, right? And he says, look, when I went to Jerusalem after three years of being out in the desert and then back in Damascus, he said, after all that experience, he said, I just, uh, I just went to Jerusalem for just a couple of days and I visited with Peter. That was the only person I saw. Then he goes on to say, verse 19, verse 19 but I saw none other than the, of, the other, of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So this is James, not the James from the Gospels. That, got, that James had been martyred already. But this is James, the Lord's brother. And we read about First Corinthians chapter 15. And so um, James, the Lord's brother, who had said, no, Jesus, you're not who you say you are. But then after he had seen Jesus after the resurrection, this James, Jesus' brother James, decided, hey, look, uh, I'm going to follow after him. He's absolutely who he said he was. I can tell you better than anybody else can tell you that Jesus never sinned. He slept in the bunk over top of me. Watched him his whole life. And that's James went on to write the book of James that we know today. And so Paul meets with these two guys. He meets with James, the Lord's brother, and he meets with Peter just for a meet and greet to say, hey, look, I'm on your team again. <laughs> I know I was playing for the other folks. I've been hanging out in Damascus for the past three years. Everybody's been wondering where I am. Well, I'm back, and I'm back, and I'm different. And then he goes on to say chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's go back really quickly. Can we show Paul's timeline real quick just to show the progress of what's happened so far? So the Apostle Paul, he's born into the world. He's a Jew. He's zealous for the law. This is before he's a Christian. And then in the Damascus Road experience, he's born again. And then three years go by. He's in Damascus. And three years go by, he goes to Jerusalem for his first trip to Jerusalem. And he meet, has a meet and greet with Peter and James, okay? All right, let's check it, take a look at chapter 2 and verse 1. He's going to jump forward here a bunch of years. He says, then after 14 years, how many years? Okay, good, you're still with me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. He says, I went up because of a revelation. Chapter 2, or verse 2, he says, I went up because of a revelation. So this is his second trip to Jerusalem, and it's been a long time since the first trip, right? So he's saved. He goes three years later to Jerusalem, and he's just there for a meet and greet. And then 14 years go by. Paul's been out on his missionary journeys. He's been out with Barnabas. Remember, Barnabas is his spiritual father. Barnabas, I... 
I don't know why, growing up in Sunday school, I always thought Barnabas was kind of like uh, Paul's second fiddle. That is not the, not the story uh, that we get. Actually, when you read the scriptures closely, you see in the, in the book of Acts, when Paul is called Saul, it always refers to him as Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And then when Paul's name is changed, the order flips, and it becomes Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And the reason for that is Barnabas was the senior pastor of a church in Antioch. Antioch was a church I don't know if we've got a map for that. I wasn't planning on it at this point, but we can probably pull that up. You can see Antioch. It's a city in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea on the map. Is it there? Well, maybe we'll find it. But um, anyhow, we'll see it a little bit. It's in the slide order. I'm way out of order now. But that's what happens when you don't have notes. So there it is. It's in the the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea, and you can see Antioch there. And so Barnabas was the senior pastor of this church, and, and Paul was one of five associate pastors at this church. You read through the book of Acts, you'll see this, and all five of the associate pastors' names are listed off. And so what happens is Barnabas vouches for Paul. Barnabas says, hey, look, Paul is actually, I know he's rough around the edges. I know he's ill-tempered. I know he's still got some anger issues, but I, there's a lot of potential here. There's a lot of promise here. I'll throw my arm around him. I'll vouch for him. I'll be his spiritual father. I'll mentor this guy. And so that's what Barnabas is to Paul. And so he pushes Paul out in the spotlight after Paul watching Barnabas for a number of years. And then Paul begins to take the reins himself. And so Paul and Barnabas had participated in some of these missionary journeys. As 14 years of Paul under Barnabas's tutelage goes by, um, chapter 2 and verse 1. Back to chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation. So he's there in Jerusalem the second time because of a revelation. Now, he doesn't tell us what the revelation is. I know what some of you are thinking because you've maybe grown up around church. You're thinking to yourself, well, I know what the revelation was. The revelation was that Paul was going to be able to take Jesus to the Gentiles. That's not a revelation. Everybody's already been doing that. This is not something new to Paul. Paul made it his deal But Stephen had already been doing this. He was the one who founded the church in Antioch. And it was a church that was to both Jewish and Gentile people. Um, And other people had been out doing this. They had been out sharing Jesus outside of national Israel. Many of his apostles had already been gone out, already launched out. And they were already sharing Christ outside of Israel. So that's not the revelation. We'll see what it is here in just a little bit. Skip forward to chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, and when James and Cephas and John, who seem to be pillars, this is all during their meet and greet the second time in Jerusalem when he comes with, with a revelation. He says, and when James and Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seem to be pillars of the church, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So they're kind of like, Paul, we bless you. We're excited about this ministry that God has for you. We want you to go out and share Jesus Um, all over the world. Verse 11, but sometime later, we don't know exactly how long, perhaps just a few months, but when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, let's go back to our map for a second. You know where Antioch is, right? This is the the church, the church that was founded by Stephen that Barnabas was now the senior pastor of and that Paul was one of the associate pastors, but Paul had been off on his missionary journeys. Barnabas had gone on some of those missionary journeys with Paul, and so now they're back into Antioch. Peter comes up to this church, and the reason why he's coming up to that church, we're going to learn here in just a second, is because there was word that had gotten back home to Jerusalem that this church had both Gentiles and Jewish people worshiping in it together. Um, That is, it had people that were not accustomed to the Jewish customs, who weren't observing the Jewish customs, and they were were, um, hanging out with and doing church with, like, Orthodox Jews. And this 
these two worlds were just not supposed to collide, right? Um, and so Peter, the head of the Christian church, is sent by folks in Jerusalem to come up and check out this church in Antioch that seems to be breaking all the rules. Um, so he says, when Peter came to Antioch, the church that breaks all the rules, I opposed him to his face. Now think about this for just a minute. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's still not, you know, he's coming on the scene, right? He's, he's, people, he's got a reputation, a good reputation, but he opposes the head of the church, the person whom Jesus said, I will establish, right? The person that Jesus had left in charge. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That is because he was wrong. Peter, really? Peter was wrong? Yeah, he says he was wrong. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when he came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Let me just give you a little bit of example of what's going on here. Dylan told us the revelation. Um, Paul is, uh, is at this church in Antioch that is breaking all the rules, right? Jewish people sitting down having table fellowship with, uh, with non-Jewish people, something they weren't supposed to do, not observing feast days, not making sacrifices, not making offerings, just kind of ignoring the Jewish law as they now have the freedom to do. They don't have to follow the ceremonial law. They're not bound to the ceremonial law anymore. They were bound to the moral law, but not to the ceremonial law. And so, um, y'all doing okay? Okay, just making sure. Um, and so, because I'm up here sometimes, I'm just, you know, the wheels are turning. And so, um, some men, it says, before certain, verse 12 says, from, for before certain men came from um, James. Now, James is the head of the church in Jerusalem. James, the Lord's brother, he's head of the church in Jerusalem. Peter's the head of everything. James is the head of the Christians in Jerusalem. So some men have come and sent by a little embassy. embassy what's the word I'm looking for? There we go, that word. Um, a bunch of people who have been sent from James to kind of go inspect, right? These inspectors, these religious inspectors have been sent up to this church that's breaking all the rules. They want to see what's going on up there. Now, if these folks come back with a bad report that, yeah, the Jewish people are having table fellowship with the Gentile people and the stuff they shouldn't be doing, if they come back, you know, X mark, X mark, X mark, X mark, and they come back home to Jerusalem where the persecution is really heavy against the Christians, and they come back with a bad report, well, that persecution is going to be even worse for all the Christians in Jerusalem. Because they're just like, we got to have to, these, these Christians are just ignoring all of our Jewish customs and all of our Jewish culture, and they're just turning it upside down, and so we're going to have to just get rid of them. And so James sends these inspectors up. He'd been, you know, had a lot of people leaning on him to do this, and so he sends these inspectors up. And when they get there, Peter's there, the head of the Christian church. And Peter's doing what everybody else is doing at the church in Antioch. He's sitting down with Gentile people having table fellowship. Let me kind of give you an example of what this might be like. I mean, you've got the, the, you know, the, the Gentile or the Jewish people who wear their coat and tie on Sunday morning, right? They're very comfortable in the church environment. They know when to stand up. They know when to sit down. They know all the songs. And then you have these Gentile people who are like coming in with their cut-off shorts and their tank top, and they just don't look like they've grown up around church their whole life, right? And, but, they've, but they're in church together, and they love one another. And it's just this beautiful coming together of worlds. And they all love the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus loves them, and he gives them all this permission and all this freedom to be able to do this. And, and Peter's a part of it. He's right there in the mix. And so then these inspectors show up, and they walk in the door, and Peter sees, he's sitting at the table, right? Wednesday night church. 
and uh, he's sitting at the table having Wednesday night supper. And those inspectors walk in the room, and Peter sees them. He looks over, stands up from the table, walks over to the corner and says, hmm, I do not know what is happening in here, right? And so Peter has one of these moments of, uh, you know, I wasn't a part of this. I wasn't a part of this. Because if they go back home and say even Peter was doing this stuff, boy, they're just going to catch it in Jerusalem. The Christians are going to catch it in Jerusalem. So, uh, so before these certain men came, Peter was fine to have table fellowship. He says, but when they came, verse 12, Peter drew back. He separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, verse 13. And the rest of the Jews in that church in Antioch acted hypocritically along with him. So Peter stands up, walks over to the side. The rest of the Jews, of course, they know their custom. They know their culture. They see Peter get up, the inspectors walk in the room, they go, well, I guess we better not do it either. So they hop up from the table, and the only people left at the table sitting down are the ones that have the tank tops and the shorts on Sunday morning, right? And they're thinking to themselves, and they're sitting at the table going, what just happened? I don't understand this. And so what Paul sees is he's watching this divide happen right down the middle of the church. Jews on the one side, now Christians, Gentiles on the other side. And Paul's going, this is What's going on here? He says, even Barnabas, so that even Barnabas, my spiritual daddy, the guy who raised me up in the faith, was led astray. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in front of them all. Right? I mean, this is one of those things where Paul probably could have called Peter outside. Peter, let's go out and have a conversation in the hallway, right? That would have been the more appropriate thing to do. But Paul's seeing everything fall apart right in front of his eyes. He's seeing the whole freedoms that they have in Christ just being eroded. And man, here comes Judaism. We're going to apply all these circumcision laws. We're going to apply. Here comes all the Jewish customs that we don't have to honor anymore. We're going to slap that on all these Gentile people. And uh, he sees all of that coming back. And so he's going, I'm going to put a stop to it right now. And so Paul walks up to Peter. Imagine the confrontation. Paul's pretty, you know, here comes his hot-headedness. He walks up to Peter in the middle of the church, in front of everybody, finger in Peter's chest, public conversation. What are you thinking? Verse, 15, verse 14, he says, if you though, like a, you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, sitting in here not worrying about these rules, these ceremonial laws, he says, Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force these Gentiles to live like Jews? Still haven't told us the revelation. Paul goes on to say, Genesis, Genesis, Galatians, we heard about Genesis in Sunday school. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, I, hey, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me explain all of this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. The old person I used to be, he didn't come back. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. Let me show you a little diagram to kind of explain a little what's going on in our modern context. When you think of somebody that is um, like a really good Christian, a really good Christian in Barrow County, a really good Christian in Oconee County. Maybe these are some of the characteristics that might we might point to. You know, they're usher at the church, 
somebody that teaches Sunday school, they volunteer, working in the nursery, perhaps they tie, they give to the church. Um, perhaps there's somebody that sings right on Sunday morning, they got a great voice. Um, they fit, fit some of these roles, some of these you know, outward behaviors or whatever. They may they dress the right way. You know, if you start, depending on what kind of church you go to, maybe they wear like really fancy dresses on Easter Sunday or something like that. So they fit all these roles. Here's what Paul says about that, right? Let's check out our next slide. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've done all that. Remember Philippians chapter 3? He says, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was zealous for the law. I was, I was, I was the Jew of all Jews. I was rising star. I, I've been all of that cultural stuff. I've tried to just say, hey, look, I, this, is, this is my act toward God. I'm just going to fulfill all these roles. I'm just going to do all of this stuff. Paul says, no, don't drag us back there, Peter. I've been crucified with Christ. And then he says, look, I don't live anymore. Look, look, at, look at the revelation. Look at what has happened to me now. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control, the apostle Paul. Yeah, that's what's happened in me. A guy who was fly off at the handle angry is now defined as peace and as gentle. Gentle? Friend, here's, here's where we, lots of times, here's, what, here's the message we send in the church. Somebody comes to faith in Christ. They're born again. They realize they have a sin problem. Jesus is the solution to that sin problem. They ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins. Their sins are forgiven. Heaven is their eternal home. And then they say, well, what do I do next? And we say, Go join a Sunday school class. Be part of a Wednesday night study. Help out in the nursery. Paul says, that's not the end game <laughs> to be a good churchgoer. The end game is to become like Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. My wife needs me to be more like Jesus. My kids need me to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. Friends, that's what Jesus offers us. Not just forgiveness of our sins, but a completely transformed person. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for just a fresh vision of what you want our lives to become. God, maybe this become the uppermost desire in our life. All the rest will take care of itself if we can just focus on you, if we can focus on becoming like you. Lord, as we gather around this table today, we're reminded of your shed blood, we're reminded of your broken body. And we're thankful that we have the forgiveness of sins because of what you accomplished on the cross. But Lord, we're so thankful that we're not just left to our own devices. That we're not just left in our depravity. But that, Lord, you want to transform us. You want to change us. You want to mature us into something so much that we never fathomed we could become. God, this morning, each of us needs more love. We need more joy. 
We need more gentleness. We need more self-control. We need all of those fruits of the Spirit. In these quiet moments this morning, Holy Spirit, we invite you to begin that process, moving us toward the destination of maturity, of becoming like Christ. We submit ourselves to you in these quiet moments. In Christ's name, amen.